And welcome to another episode of the Guys with Feelings podcast, where two guys discuss the ideas, influences, epiphanies, and yes, the feelings that make them better men. My name is Jamin Yee. And I'm Gabe Rose. And today, I'm very excited to present a special guest with feelings, my good friend, Sharon Avasar. Hello. How are you doing, Sharon? I'm doing really well. Awesome. Sharon is a psychotherapist in San Francisco who works mainly with couples and men working on relationship issues, as well as facilitating ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. Sharon, welcome to the show. Thank you. Really excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. Uh, As you may or may not already know, Gabe and I are huge fans of therapy, and uh, it's an honor to to finally get to talk to you about what it's like on the other side. Awesome. Yeah, I'm a really big fan, too. (laughs) (laughs) Just for business reasons, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Strictly business. (laughs) Awesome. Um, Well, cool. Well, just to kick things off... um, Sharon, how did you get into therapy and ketamine-assisted psychotherapy and all of this in the first place? Well, it's it's a long journey, and you know, but to make it short, I've been in my own therapy for many, many years. Mm-hmm. I started really young at around 15, and I could say it's one of the biggest influences and um, catalyzers of change and growth in my life. And I know that I've always wanted to work with people and help people. So I often find myself in the position of a therapist or the listening ear for a friend or family member. So Mm -hmm. I kind of just did what was natural for me. That's awesome. Yeah. And then the specifics around what I specialize is just kind of been a, you know, one step in front of the other. Um, The ketamine kind of came online a couple about a year and a half ago i did a training uh with a psychiatrist who focuses on ketamine and i thought it was really interesting and a few fellow friends and physicians who are able to legally administer it were able to do that so we kind of collaborated and i at work as the therapist and they administer the ketamine and it's been just a surprising an exciting new venture in the last year or so. That's really cool. Yeah. And we'd love just to hear more more about the process. Like how long did you have to go to school for? Like how long ago did you make this decision to go into therapy professionally as a therapist? Um, Well, you know, it's been, I've been thinking about it for a really long time, but I decided to go to grad school. I think it was 2000, like 2012, 2011. And I graduated in 2014, and I started working with clients in 2014, maybe actually during grad school. So you have to start seeing people the last year of grad school. So it's been about five years. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. and I'd love to hear, like, I'm really curious how you know, experienced it a lot from the other side. Like, I'm, I'm curious to hear, like, what it's like. In terms of compared to your expectations, like how is being a therapist really similar to what you expected going into it? And also, how is it different, if at all? Yeah, well, it's it's an interesting question because it's only me and them in the room. So I can't, you know, I can only help them based on the experiences that I've had. And mm-hmm. I really believe that you can only go as deep as the therapist has been able to go in themselves. So I feel like I often 
am really relating to what they're going through and feel like I've just came out of that place in myself or have struggled in that area and spent a lot of time in therapy um, there myself and found that I came out on the other end and really mm -hmm. had to struggle and had the hopelessness of not being sure that the process even works and being really, um, I guess, I don't know what the right word is, but feeling really grateful that when I was a patient, uh, the therapists I worked with were just able to hold me in the unknown and kind of the existential moments of like, does this even really do anything at all? And trusting and then really trusting that it does and coming out the other end and figuring out that it really does help. And I feel like now I'm good at doing that with people of seeing the path in myself, but not really giving it to them and just trusting that they'll figure it out and find a way. And I'm, I'm just there to help facilitate it. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, I think especially relevant to our podcast called guys with feelings, <laughs> uh, you mainly work with couples and men. Yeah. Right? I did that just to be on the podcast. Actually. <laughs> That's perfect. Playing it the worked. long game like yeah. years ago. She's like, I can see where this podcast is going. And even exactly. though it doesn't exist yet, I got to get on it. I'm going to secure my place. It's really yeah. three-dimensional chess. Yeah. I'm, I'm also a clairvoyant, so I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah. So, yeah, how did how did that happen where you ended up working like mostly with, with male clients? You know, I don't know, but I, I think um, I was just talking to a friend about that today is that we work in the areas that were the most wounded mm. and so for me you know I have I grew up with three brothers and my father in a really like male dominated house and had a lot of struggles being kind of the black sheep of the family and struggled with my own relationships with men and I don't want to say I was like a man hater because I don't think I was but I definitely had a lot of like rub up in myself with mm. the men that I was in relationship with and being like a strong woman who always spoke her feelings and then to have to be on the other end of just like getting to and have to empathize and listen to men um I thought it was like a cosmic joke at first like <laughs> for several years like why is this the you know kind of clientele that I'm attracting and and over time, like really appreciating it and finding it to be my strength. But it definitely was a long journey. And I didn't see it as a something that I was excited to do at first, but mm. now I realize like it's totally a calling for me and I'm good at it. And I and I actually really enjoy working with guys. So yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And would you say there's a specific type of um I don't know, like w working with so many male clients, do you see certain issues or patterns come up often? Yeah. So, you know, I work a lot with um, attachments. So what that means is like adult attachment styles, the way that adults relate and attach in um, relationships, re primarily romantic relationships, mm -hmm. are pretty indicative of how they grew up their first seven years of their childhood with they're usually their mother and father. So I work with people who have difficulties and uh, attaching, like getting into strong partnerships and want partnerships, but don't know 
why they can't find themselves in one. And as soon as they find themselves in one, want to get out of one. Um, and one of the terms for that is like uh, avoidant or ambivalent attachment mm-hmm. patterns. Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> something I resonate with and yeah. something I've been working on uh, with my own therapy. Yeah, It sounds like you didn't um, explicitly go out trying to serve mostly men as clients. That's just sort of the way it happened. Yeah, it's, I, you know, therapy is a funny world where it feels kind of woo-woo where the universe just tends to give you what you're working through. And <laughs> at the time, um, this is like a personal reveal of mine. I was dating a lot and finding I was dating a lot of avoidant men and then finding a lot of avoidant men in my practice. So it was like not what I was looking for, not what I wanted to work with, but just kept coming to me. So it it was definitely just out of out of my control at the moment, I guess. Mm. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, and this is something that that's definitely uh, like, you know, uh, on my mind a lot. And, and actually this framework of, you know, attachment theory and this, um, you know, understanding like why I had these patterns and relationships mm-hmm. and why, you know, I'd get into relationship, really wanting that relationship. And then I got into it and now I was scared of it and I wanted to run away. Um, it was so helpful to find out about attachment theory and to, to, you know, find out about these terms like, you know, avoidant attachment or anxious attachment and kind of start to have a framework to explain some of my behavior. Totally. It's, it really helps people, uh, ground a phenomenon that they think they're the only ones having. (laughs) And it, it it feels like a whole part of them kind of comes online once you start talking about attachment theory. And I feel like I want, it's cool that I get to be on this because I, I think more conversations about it is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you found like, so working with guys, you know, with attachment issues, um, what else have you found being helpful? You know, um, In helping them kind of figure that part out. Mm-hmm. So I like to think that it's not necessarily about, you know, dating a specific kind of person, but really figuring out what is going on inside and what's um, so scary about relationship. Because usually behind avoidance or um, ambivalence around attaching to a person, there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear. And so figuring out what those beliefs are and where and how they come out and, and they can be you know, I'm afraid that I'm going to get abandoned there. I'm going to, I'm afraid I'm going to get taken over. I'm going to be kind of consumed by a person Mm. and, and getting to work those beliefs out and figuring out on a kind of conscious level that that's not necessarily true. You know, that might've been your experience early on in childhood, um, but you can consciously work with that and um, figure out ways and work, you know, with the person you're dating to, um, make sure that you aren't having those experiences. And hopefully, I think especially with therapy, having what they call corrective experiences. Um, So, you know, facing your fear and realizing that there's something else on the other end. Mm. It's interesting. So I I feel like, um, you know, if you, Jamie, I've heard you sort of use the phrase like love avoidant as a way to, Mm -hmm. as a sort of a category for this. And it's, it's interesting to think about it in a, in a male context, because, you know, another interview we did recently for the podcast with, with Connor Moss, sort of talking about how a lot of 
culturally, there's a lot pushing men away from commitment anyways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wonder if a lot of men that are struggling. So if you think about the counter, if you think about like a woman struggling with maybe love attachment or love avoidance, sorry, which obviously happens also. Mm-hmm. I can imagine because that's not quote unquote normal for a woman and our sort of like cultural stereotypes like a lot of people around her would be like, hey, like, that's not like, you should figure this out. You know, it's sort of like a flag for people to like, sort of help and do something and like explore that issues. But for men, since it's, it can be cool or socially promoted or definitely socially acceptable to be unattached. Right. A lot of men that are having these love avoidant issues, it, it sort of never gets like, quote unquote, diagnosed. Like, I don't mean that yeah. term in a, in a literal medical right. sense, but yeah, but you just keep playing the field or like doing whatever actually deep down, like wanting something more serious, but not able to move towards it. And nobody sort of grabs you and is like, Hey, like, do you need help? Like figuring this out? Because what you're doing is totally quote unquote normal for a guy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think you hit that point. right on the head. And something Sharon said that, that really resonated with me was it's so interesting to hear that a lot of her clients came in and they felt like they were like the only ones mm-hmm. with this problem. And like, that's how I felt for most of my life. Oh. You know, I would keep like getting into relationships and, and felt, I always described it as like, there's something wrong with my heart. You know, it's like, oh. I can't love for some reason. Like there was some block there. Like someone, you know, my girlfriend, whatever, like starts moving closer to me and like, you know, wants to, to, you know, dive into our relationship more. And, something in me shuts down and, and I can't, I can't help it, you know? And I just thought it was a me thing for so many years. And, um, and yeah, no, I, I do think it's helpful to have more people talking about this to realize like it wasn't just a me thing. And and there's actually a lot of people out there struggling with this. Totally. Yeah. It helps people feel less alone and it also gives a language. So that you could start talking about your feelings, right. Which is part of the, um, wanting to avoid is that 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 stuff is scary. Mm-hmm. It's hard to go into. So yeah, it's cool to to hear hear you both talk about it. And yeah, I I have a lot to say about it. And I think that one important part that I want to add too is that sometimes you might be single for a long time, and I think as long as you're working on this stuff the relationship is out there it will happen and you don't have to rush it you know that's the other piece too it's not like you need to jump into a relationship as long as i think you're doing your work Mm -hmm. um it will happen and and that's the other end is people often in the love avoidant um or ambivalent side get to be really anxious and to start to think that there's something wrong with them and i think Mm -hmm. it's like you know figuring out that you're doing this, you're putting the puzzle together and eventually it will happen and you'll probably be more mature and more ready for a deep connected relationship at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like a big shift also is this idea. I think a lot of, you know, I'm speaking for myself, but also I, I imagine for a lot of other guys who have this, you think for the longest time that the problem is external, mm-hmm. right? Like for me, I was like, oh, it just wasn't the right person. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just, uh, no, I just needed a different like type of living situation that we were in, whatever. Um, but 
once you, I think, realize like, you know, like this framework and realize like, oh, there's like reasons why I'm acting this way. I feel like there's a, an important shift happens where you stop trying to fix it externally by finding different people or different whatever situations. And then you start to address the core root of it, which is internal. Yeah. And you start to like, oh, how can I heal this within myself? How can I deal with, you know, what's um, feeling neglected or pained within me? Um, and I feel like once that shift starts happening, um, like, you know, we were talking about this earlier, but the external shifts will start to come, right? Yeah. Once yeah. you start to address the root. Totally. Yeah. It's like, you don't need to swipe a lot. You know, you can do the internal work and then actually date less people and have more success with the people you're dating. Amen. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Um, well, Jared, I know I know we were really excited to also talk about your your work with ketamine in a therapeutic context. Um, so we'd love to dive into that if that's if that's okay. And and maybe starting with a question, just like at a basic level, what what is ketamine, <laughs> and why why are you and other people um, experimenting with it, using it um, as part of therapy? Well, I'm not. I'm actually not the best person to answer what is ketamine because I'm not a chemist and I'm not a psychiatrist. But from, you know, just the the basics of it is ketamine's been around for at least over 100 years. And it's been used in hospital um, settings mainly as a sedative um, for surgeries and um, like a, a tranquilizer. Mm -hmm. and um, like a mild anesthetic. Anesthetic, well, yeah. yeah. And it's... Uh, it's largely been effective in that setting. And then recently, I think it's been starting, started to be used as an antidepressant about 20 years ago. But um, for some reason, and I think a lot of cultural shifts that are happening now, it's really taking off um, as the way to combat depression. Yeah. Yeah. And also just put in a quick note, uh, some of you listeners might've heard of ketamine before as a club drug or as a, I feel like the popular stereotype of it is as a horse tranquilizer <laughs> and <laughs> that people also use in clubs. <laughs> right. And um, so it is like a popular recreational drug that I think, yeah, I know has been popular in Europe and kind of electronic music scenes and such. Um, and, uh, and yeah. And, and I think just in like the last like few years, it's, it's really starting to be taken seriously as one of the most effective treatments for, for um, some like really deep seated cases of depression that like nothing else, no other types of therapies could even budge. And a lot of people are, um, are getting healing from it, which is amazing. And uh, yeah, what, what's been your experience with it? Like as a, as a therapist, you know, who uses that, have, have you seen some good results? Yeah. I, I, you know, I really try to steer clear of talking about things like a panacea or, mm -hmm. you know, but this is, pretty amazing um i've had people in my ketamine clinic that i wouldn't treat just with regular therapy because what they're going through is pretty severe mm. and if i were to treat them i would see them several times a week but you know i i would make sure they're also seeing a psychiatrist and the amount of shifts that i've gotten from just three to six sessions is pretty astounding wow. um yeah i i at this point feel like it's something that i want to talk about more because i feel like if people 
who are severely suffering from depression haven't given it a try, I would really consider doing that. It has very little side effects um, aside from some some nausea and like upset stomach. And you can take, um, you know, medication to deal with that. And the ability to to lift depression is it's just like I, I just haven't seen that before. So I'm I've been pretty astounded. That's amazing. And and how long have you been doing it and how many total patients have you worked with so far? Um I could let's see. I think I started maybe a year and a half ago, just about. And I've I think I've seen in total maybe about 10, 10 patients and I'll work with them with a doctor. So the doctor um, is administering it and I've been doing my own kind of style of therapy, which uh, tends to be longer. So I'll work with them anywhere from two to four hours. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, yeah. And we work for um, anywhere between three to six weeks every week. And then um, often we'll just do maintenance sessions after that. And if you're able to, I'd love to like understand a little more of the process. So do people take ketamine and then while they're having the ketamine experience, they're talking with you or they take it the day before? Like how does it actually interact with the sort of talk sure. therapy process? So the way I do it is a little bit, it's not the conventional way. Um, I think a lot of doctor's offices will hook people up to an IV and just kind of leave them in a room by themselves. Um, but I've been really incorporating therapy like, in it. So how I work is the first about like 50 minutes doing a regular session to just figure out like, what am I working with? Like what, Mm -hmm. what are the goals here? What is the trauma? What's, what's wanting to be healed um, for lack of a better word. And then I'll do uh, like a grounding uh, meditation, just getting people in their bodies and the doctor I work with will administer it. And he will generally be sitting with me. So usually with any psychedelic assisted therapy, you want like two sitters and usually like a male and a female. Um, And at that point, really encourage the patient to go inward. Um, So just giving like a few verbal cues here and there, but really just to let people relax and go inside. Mm -hmm. Um, And often people will like free associate and I might kind of reflect what they're saying back to them, but it's more like I'm bookmarking what they're saying. And then as they're coming out and they're in a more of a spacious place, but they're definitely like cognizant of what they're saying, we start to do the integration work. And then um, by the time the session's over, they're sitting up and we're talking about what happened and we're, and I'm, I'm helping integrate it for them. Um, and then usually I'll just do a check-in call like a couple days later just to make sure that they're they're doing well and feel like they have a supportive person there um, with them. And, and we'll do that for about three to six weeks. Hmm. And what would you say, you know, is the main difference between, you know, if you're just doing a normal session and then what does the ketamine add to the, or change about the experience well the ketamine it's a dissociative so it tends to take people out of their body and that's what dissociatives do Um, but often with people with depression you're just sitting with a lot of 
psycho emotional physical suffering you know if you're depressed you're feeling physically heavy you're feeling mm. physically lethargic um you feel like your body's just holding like blocks or one client described it as like i've been carrying a brick with me my whole life mm. and then with mm. the ketamine i'm this one patient you know i'll just give a anecdote she was able to really um eloquently articulate how the block was her family her family trauma all of the um weight and responsibility she felt that she was obligated to take care of them etc and with the ketamine she was able to feel that block be removed for the first time and mm -hmm. feel like a sense of her own heart which is mm. something that she never knew was possible like she thought it was kind of like hippies, whatever, <laughs> new agey jargon. And she's like, no, I actually feel my heart and I feel warmth in my heart. Mm, and I feel wow. lightness in my body that I've never experienced before. And this was a woman who was in her mid forties, never done therapy, um, was kind of hopeless when mm. she came in and said she's never felt better in her entire life. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it, it's honestly like, so cool to be in the room with people when this is happening because I feel like I'm seeing shifts in people who have been carrying depression their whole lives and I feel like so honored to to be able to witness that change. Oh. Yeah. Sounds powerful. It's super powerful. Yeah. I um I'm curious what sort of data you have from personal experience or just the field has that you know about about sort of sustaining of changes over time, right? Because they're one version of the story they imagine people would imagine in their heads like, oh, right, you have this amazing experience while you're on a psychedelic dissociative. Mm. And maybe for a few days or a few weeks or a few months that sort of sticks with you. But over time, you sort of like return to your, your baseline norm, which was a really deep depression. So I'm curious, like how you think about that and people overall are thinking about that or experiencing that. Well, based on my personal experience, um, a woman I worked with, I guess at this point, it was a year and a half ago, um, she was suffering major depression, has had it every year of her life. Um, you know, she's not getting out of bed. She's crying all day. Mm. Since then, she's had marked shifts, is able to function, is not staying in bed, is um, still has highs and lows, but she's actually like very high functioning. And she knows that she can always come back for uh, maintenance and she hasn't felt the need to. Um, with other people, and this isn't just in my experience, but in the workshop that I went to and talking to other people who've been working with ketamine, they might come back um, every three months for maintenance, um, but by and large, it's helped them sustain being out of major depression. And they've been doing it for several years. Wow. Um, but the big thing, and I think this is what's really cool, and I love like talking about it, um, is the combination of therapy with ketamine. Because, you know, depression isn't something that just happens on its own. It's usually like a systemic problem. So with the therapy, you're helping figure out what's going on in your life that's causing you to be depressed or what trauma needs to be digested that you haven't done yet. And the therapy is the thing that helps you do that. And the ketamine just kind of gets you out of where you've been. So it gives you enough energy to deal with that stuff. Mm. So maybe it's the ketamine gets you antidepressed enough to deal with the 
you know, codependent relationship you're in or the abusive relationship you're in that you've just been too exhausted to deal with, or it gets you enough energy to deal with your early childhood trauma. And that I think is the key. And what I'm really excited about, it's kind of like the best of both worlds. So you get to really deal with the deep things underneath the surface that need to be healed. And you also get the immediate relief. That's amazing. And so there can be like positive feedback loops there where Exactly. Because a lot of times there's like, so this is not my field, but I, from like the little bit I know, I gather there's like a debate sometimes that happens in psychiatric or psychological circles. There's like, oh, like how much of depression is caused by sort of serotonin levels, neurological stuff versus life conditions. And like, obviously there's some that are caused by both, but to what percentage should we be focused on those or sort of are we over identifying things as neurological versus sort of behavioral and and lifestyle? And like, it's interesting to hear the way you frame that because- without getting into that whole debate, it, it can be the case that there are lifestyle things, but there there are neurological things, challenges that are keeping people from dealing with their lifestyle challenges. And so <laughs> exactly. you relieve the neurological side of the symptoms for a little bit, then you can deal with lifestyle and enter this positive feedback loop, which sounds like, yeah, then you could see like some amazing, sustainable, continued results. Exactly. Like the way I think of it is if, you know, we were working with a patient who has a drug addiction and the drug addiction, um, along with like really poor lifestyle choices, like, you know, not exercising, not eating well, but they're so depressed that they don't have the, they can't get galvanized to make those changes, but the ketamine just really lifts them out of it, which is different than an antidepressant. An antidepressant can often give you a numbing effect, mm-hmm. but it could give you a little bit of a boost. This really like lifts it up and out, but then it also gives you enough energy to do the lifestyle change to maybe go to NA or AA and deal with the long-term systemic things that are going to really lift you out of that depression. And and obviously, you know, none of it is a panacea. You have to continue to do your work, but it really helps people once they start to notice, like, you know, a couple months out, okay, I'm starting to slip again. Maybe I'll do a ketamine session. Um, so, you know, I'm definitely sold since I've been working on it and seeing it firsthand. And and how sorry, I just have so many questions. So interesting. Totally. <laughs> like how common is ketamine assisted therapy like in every major city in america are there one or more places doing it or is it really hard to get permission to do it or i think it's not super common i feel like most of what i hear about is people working with iv or people working with like a nurse psychiatric nurse practitioner or psychiatrist and it's kind of like a quick check-in and then giving them the ketamine the way i've been doing it sorry just oh, so yeah. I understand, there's a version of therapy where people just get ketamine, but not the therapy. Right. That's yeah. most that of sounds, That seems, yeah, from yeah. what That's I've read. Mo- that seems odd to me. <laughs> That's like, most of what is going on right now. Interesting. Okay. Right. Which is cool. I mean, it's an antidepressant. It helps people. But w- what I'm like really just geeking out on is the combination of both. And I've been kind of doing this myself, and I'm trying to get other therapists to come and join the clinic I'm wanting to start. Um, and it's all in the works right now. I'm working out of doctor's offices with a couple doctors who are really excited about it, but I'm really trying to envision a whole healing center where therapists and doctors are working together and doing this. So, you know, I haven't yet heard of 
therapists, except for a, f- a few. Um, I know Phil Wolfson, who is one of the uh, sci- leading psychiatrists with ketamine-assisted therapy. He works with a team with a couple therapists. But other than that, I haven't really heard of anybody doing this. Hmm. It seems like such a more potent and powerful combination like together. Totally. Yeah. 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 If you're going to give someone a big, intense, like psychedelic drug, but then not like, I felt like the little bit of reading I've done, like Michael Paul and stuff and others, like reviewing some of the sort of research on psychedelics as therapies, like with psilocybin or LSD, it, I, my impression, my vague impression was, was that like a lot of this research was being done with therapeutic support, at least like the psilocybin stuff that I think I read a little more about. Um, but maybe that's mistaken in general, or maybe it's true for other things and less true for ketamine. I don't know. Well, the the difference is, is ketamine, you have to have a physician administer it. Mm-hmm. So whereas with the other substances, it's not yet legal. So it doesn't really matter who administers it. Um, and so therapists, if they're working that way, can give psilocybin because um, they don't they don't need a doctor there. Right. So just to be clear, um, so ketamine is ketamine therapy is legal. It, it's legal to use as an antidepressant as long as you have um, a physician who is administering it. Yeah. Got it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like if we can just do our small part to help get the word out that a ketamine-assisted psychotherapy is kind of the way to go, I feel like totally. that, would be, that's, that would be a huge uh, leverage changer. Yeah. I mean, just to put a plug in, like, my patients are people who haven't done psychedelics, are not part of this world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe a couple of them have tried mushrooms, like, once or twice. Uh, and after their experiences, they, I hear them kind of across the board saying, why isn't this more well known? Why aren't more people doing this? Um, and it, it really just feels like there's going to start to be a groundswell once the word gets out. Yeah, it does feel like there's a there's a cultural big cultural shift happening right now with our, our views of psychedelics and how that can actually help with healing, um, especially with Michael Pollan's book that that just came out i feel like this is really starting to enter the mainstream consciousness and i think could have huge ramifications for mental health and a lot of a lot of healing yeah i hope so yeah coming forward yeah i mean my like starting point is like i'm i'm a i'm not well versed in research b it's not my field like i have no expertise in this but just it seems like there's enough early positive indications to like keep researching it vigorously whether you know like across a range of psychedelics with different sort of needs and conditions it just it seems obvious to me that it's a question worth exploring more like we we shouldn't presuppose what the answer is going to be but the fact that we've just like been completely shut off to any of this research with stuff that maybe it's nothing maybe it won't help people but maybe it could be tremendously helpful with all Mm -hmm. sorts of like ptsd or really like treatment resistant depression it's just um, it seems like an exciting moment to at least be revisiting an openness to research, which I think is really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like early studies have been hugely positive, like very, yeah. it seems to be very effective for, yeah, for things like PTSD. And, That's know. what I've noticed, like PTSD, agoraphobia, which is, you know, people who have a hard time leaving their house, depression, ongoing major depression, um, postpartum depression. Um, really people who are seriously suffering and want relief, it really is working for them. 
That's so amazing. Yeah. Uh, just curious, do you have any thoughts about, I know like other types of um, psychedelic kind of therapies are, are becoming more well-known from MDMA, mm-hmm. um, uh, mushrooms, ayahuasca. Do you have any thoughts on on how those might be helpful or? Yeah, well, I, you know, gosh, that's such a big, <laughs> big topic. Totally. And a big question. Yeah. Um, I, I guess from, from how I conceptualize it, it's, you know, we're all have our conditioning from our family to our culture and media. And when you're ingesting these really, um, strong, potent psychedelics, uh, they're letting you connect in with a basic source that I believe everybody has inside of them, mm-hmm. whatever word you want to choose, like life force, energy source, and that source is inherently healing. It has an inherent intelligence to it and one that wants us to thrive. And it allows you to kind of work with whatever layers of conditioning um, that have been put upon you that is no longer serving you. And when you get to be aware of that conditioning, um, you can start to listen to it less and start to believe it less and ultimately like let it um, kind of degenerate, you know, and if you think about that on a neurological level, you're creating neural pathways that are more in line with health and vitality and getting to choose new ways of being that are a lot harder when you're kind of identified with it. So the psychedelics often give you a way of no longer identifying with the patterns and person that you thought you were. Yeah. I see, I feel like an analogy that works really well for me and like kind of looking at how psychedelics can be helpful is I feel like a lot of our, our negative and harmful patterns in our lives are, are these, you know, these grooves in our, in our neural network, right? Mm -hmm. Like these, these neurons that have fired so many times over our lives that they're just these well-worn solid paths. And our brain just always knows like just by rote memory, just always goes down the same paths. And, and I feel like these types of psychedelic assisted therapies can actually help you see different possibilities, Mm -hmm. help your brain form different types of connections, see different perspectives. And from there you have maybe a little more choice on which there may be a choice there that wasn't there before and and different pads are able to start to be formed. Yep. Yeah. You get a lot more lateral thinking, a lot more perspective. Yep. And it's also, you know, on another level, I just think it, it really helps people connect to something bigger and greater than themselves, which is always helps people feel more meaning and, and um, personal power in themselves. Like if they're just kind of able to see outside of their ego structure and see like outside of that, there's something that they want to do that is going to bring a lot of meaning and is usually not just connected to how can I survive? It's like, how can I connect with others, help the world in some ways, and just tends to bring a lot of positive changes in a more social cultural context as well. I guess like we, we've been talking a lot about the potential here and the really amazing progress that you've seen in some of your work. Are there any risks to ketamine therapy or, or to using ketamine that sort of are also worth sort of having in the mix or knowing about? Well, I know, you know, ketamine is not addictive in the um, 
literal sense, like you don't have withdrawals and you don't um, crave it like other substances. But there are people who can get addicted to the dissociative effects of it, um, where mm -hmm. it's just like it's it's a nice to get into that space. And why don't I go to that space all the time? Mm -hmm. um, that said, we're administering it. You know, we're giving it to people. We're not giving it to take home. Um, and so that's a big difference there. And then also, you know, I think with ketamine, you could asphyxiate, you could choke on your vomit if you were really out, like having um, a dissociative state where your body is just like unable to move mm -hmm. and you end up purging, you end up vomiting. Um, you want to make sure that there's somebody there so that you are not choking on your vomit. Mm. Yeah. For the most part, it seems like it's a it's relatively safe. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you have a yeah. when you're doing it, you're doing exactly. it in a medical context. You know, you're doing it in a very yeah. structured medical context. I think you said one one male, one female exactly. spotter. It's like sounds very thoughtful the yeah. way you're you're going. It's the about way that it. psychedelics, I think, should be used. And what Michael Pollan talked a lot about is bringing it back to that idea of having a shaman or a sitter or somebody who's able to help guide you through that experience. Mm. I wouldn't recommend doing it by yourself. Right. Awesome. Well, I am so, so glad that you're doing this kind of work. Oh, thank you. And yeah. I really hope that, you know, that the word about how effective this is continues to spread and, and kind of your approach of integrating therapy with the ketamine uh, becomes a bigger thing. Me too. And you know, I'm, I'm really happy to talk more about it. And if any of your listeners wants to contact me, I'm, it feels like a really important thing to get people to spread the word and to know about. Yeah. Yeah. So if they, if they wanted to learn more, um, is there any way they can get in touch with you or keep up with what you're doing? Sure. You can directly reach me, Sharon Avisar at Gmail. Um, that's S H A R O N A V E S A R at Gmail. And if you want to learn more about the work Sharon is doing, check out her website at ketaminecollective.com. That's K E T A M I N E collective.com. Uh, Sharon, thank you so much for coming on the show. This yeah. is an amazing conversation. So fun. I learned a yeah. lot. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Learned yeah. a lot and I'm feeling very hopeful Me about too. Um, yeah, about the state of where we're going with all this healing and and Lord knows we we need it right now. Yeah. So awesome. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. You can find all episodes of Guys with Feelings at guyswithfeelings.co. Shoot us an email at guyswithfeelingsshow at gmail.com. Music for the podcast is by Broke for Free. And you can leave us a review if you're feeling generous or not. And uh, yeah, that'll do it for this episode. Until next time, we hope everyone out there is able to embrace the lows, celebrate the highs, and appreciate the messy journey in between. We'll see you guys next time.